Hi, this is Elaine. We've hosted guest experts on impactparents.com every week since 2011. And since 2017, they've been podcast style interviews. Now we're dipping into those archives to share these fascinating conversations with leading world experts on the Parenting with Impact podcast. Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome, everyone. It's Elaine Taylor-Klaus with Impact ADHD, your online resource for parenting complex kids. And I'm here today to welcome Dr. Roberto Olivardia. Roberto, hi. Welcome to the show, I guess you would call it. Oh, it's great to be here, Elaine. Looking forward to our conversation. Me too, very much. So let me tell you about him. Dr. Roberto Olivardia is a lecturer in the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and maintains a private practice in Lexington, Mass. as a clinical psychologist. So he's a clinical psychologist who works at the Department of Psychiatry. I had to clarify that one, so I want to be mm -hmm. clear. And he specializes in the treatment of ADHD and executive functioning issues and issues facing students with dyslexia. And he's also really a recognized expert in the treatment of body dysmorphic disorder, eating disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder. So he sort of takes on the hard stuff. And when people have got these complex kids who are what I'm beginning to call uber complex, mm. Roberto is one of the places that he's likely to get sent and has a private practice in, in that Massachusetts, Boston, Massachusetts area. He's on the professional advisory board for CHAD, ADA, and the National Association for Males with Eating Disorders, as well as on the advisory board for Attitude Magazine. So today we are going to be talking about ADHD and sleep, but also about ADHD and identity and self-management and how all of those things sort of play together. So Roberto, thank you. Welcome. And where do you want to get us started? Well, I think the sleep thing is a very important issue. I mean, I often say I don't know anyone with ADHD doesn't have some issue with sleep and, and I, myself included I have ADHD and I found it incredibly validating actually when I started to educate myself and look into the scientific literature and see how much of an association sleep issues and ADHD have. Um, right. All of my patients struggle with it whether it's sleep apnea, whether it's hard time falling asleep, whether it's narcolepsy, whether it's a uh, hard time you know, staying asleep. Hard time putting yourself to bed. 
that was my big one. To bed, absolutely, <laughs> right? Definitely not going to sleep. That's right, and it's something that from parents is definitely um, I would say sleep, eating, and sort of just general kind of impulsivity are usually the three top issues I hear from parents of the kids I work with. Right, conflicts in the household, and what's helpful is I'll, I'll often have the session with the child and, and the parent and say, actually, you know, when Johnny is saying that he has a hard time shutting his brain off at night, he's actually right. And then yeah. Johnny's saying, yes. See, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, here's this research that shows that for a lot of people with ADHD, that their circadian rhythms can actually be sort of offset in ways that hard to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. quote unquote, normal times people fall asleep. Then I'll say, however, now that we know that and we have that information and we understand ourselves as people with ADHD that have this wiring, we have to now work with it because this can get us into a lot of trouble if we're going to bed at three in the morning and have to wake up at six. And that's where mom or dad go, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it turns out that it starts with that piece, though, of understanding, well, this is how I'm wired and that there is a biology here, that there is something that is not just a choice and certainly... And not irresponsible. Not irresponsible, absolutely. And that, yes, there may be behaviors, but sometimes those behaviors are driven by one's biology. So to give you an example, I was a kid that was very oppositional about going to bed um, Mm -hmm. at a certain time. And I would fight it, you know, tooth and nail. And part of it was I really wasn't tired. I really Mm -hmm. wasn't. And because when I was made to go to bed, let's say at an earlier time than I wanted to, I would be lying in bed and my brain would just feel completely energized and awake and I would just be thinking. And sometimes I'd be thinking of cool things that I want to do tomorrow or the next concert I'm going to see or a great food or a great song that I want to write. And now I'm getting really aroused and energized by these wonderful creative ideas that now it's making it even less likely I'm going to fall asleep. Or I'm starting to think of things that stress me out and make me anxious and I'm worrying now about things and I'm lying in a dark room where I can't do anything about those things that I'm worrying about. And so then you really can't fall asleep. And I really can't fall asleep. And then I will be up sometimes all night. Mm -hmm. So then I get really frustrated. I get angry. I get, so there's a cycle. So then as I grew older, where I had more choice in terms of when to go to bed, and I would say, well, you know, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z at 10 o'clock at night where other people might be winding down. I might be winding up because this is how my brain is. Mm -hmm. However, then what would happen is that I could get caught in a hyper focus or I'm overly stimulating myself where now when my body should be going to sleep, my my brain is overriding that mechanism. And I have pulled way too many all-nighters in my life. I mean, it amazes me when I talk to someone who's never been up all night. Right. (laughs) Well, and I'm just laughing because any one of us who has ADHD is listening to you and nodding and going, yeah, 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 duh. And anybody who does it is like, what are you talking about? Yes. Absolutely. Because it sounds so foreign to those of you who don't have this wonderful wiring we have. 
definitely. Right. And it's something that when I was younger, I used to think, well, I, I didn't really think anything of it, I guess, except to say, well, this is how my brain is wired and I do function better at night getting stuff done, partly yep. because I'd be procrastinating during the day, but also everyone else, the world's asleep. I finally know, but exactly, exactly. <laughs> Leave me alone so I can focus. Right. Yeah, no one's going to bother me and there's nothing fun to do, although in college that changes. Um, yeah. There's always something fun to do, probably, you know. All the around the clock. It's kind yeah. of fun. Um, and then it got to a point for me where it was not healthy. And, you know, I would pull not just one all-nighter, but two all-nighters in a row. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. your body gets really sick afterwards. And I've had yeah. mono and I've had shingles and I've gotten, you know, things that a healthy, you know, 20-something, you know, 30-something year old shouldn't get. And as I've gotten older, I can't do, I can't pull it off the way I did, you know, 20 years ago. And but I could still pull it off more than the average person, but I don't want to. I don't want to be able to. And so it's something that I really have worked on. But having the knowledge and this identity of, okay, I am someone with ADHD with this wiring, I have to really work at this because this is something that could really be carried away and could really be a problem, a real health problem. Right. Well, I was just, I was remembering as you're saying that one of my reservations when I was young and single or, you know, or early married and working, I was able to navigate my life in a way that worked for my rhythms, as you're saying. My biggest fear about having kids was that I was going to have to wake up early in the morning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and as a mom over the years, I have learned and changed and made, put new patterns into place to manage it, you know, and one of the things I look forward to one day is knowing that I won't have to manage this that hard. But mm -hmm. at some point when all the kids are in their own lives and I'm back to my life, I get to go back to the rhythm that's still now, 40 years later, still the most natural for me. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Or 30 years later, whatever it is. So there's this piece that's about sleep. Like sleep is an issue for all of us. Right. right? Then you're also, hear, I hear you talking about sort of this identity of knowing ourselves, know thyself, and therefore choose to manage it or not. Absolutely, right? which is really a primary thing that I work on in, in therapy with individuals with ADHD, because if you don't integrate this into your identity on some level. And it's not for me to tell people this is how you exactly you have to integrate it, but you have to integrate it to the degree that you understand and have the self-awareness and this mindfulness so that you know where your slippery slopes are. You know, in the same way that when I work with, I work with a number of people who are recovering from addiction, from drug addiction. Um, and, you know, and people who are addicts really often will adhere to that identity as an addict. And not right. in a way that makes them feel bad and not, it doesn't have to be in a pejorative way, but it's this idea like I'm an addict, so I know what I need to stay away from. Now, I knew as someone with ADHD that our risk of addiction is much higher than it is right. for non-ADHD samples. And knowing that intuitively, I didn't know the research when I was in college, like I do now, but I do know intuitively that I'm a very, I have a very addictive personality. Right. And you're at higher risk. And I'm at higher risk. And by knowing that and understanding that and integrating that in my identity, not feeling less than because of that, it helped me not get into situations that mm -hmm. um, I know I could have easily gotten into. Um, well, so I, what comes up for me as you're saying that is that it's not about making an excuse. It's about understanding the explanation. Yes. Right? 
it's really about understanding what it is with no judgment of like who we are, how we're wired. And the management comes later. And what's jumping out at me is this notion that a lot of times parents are trying to go straight to, well, give me a strategy to address this. And what you're saying is we want to step back and say, how do we help our kids understand who they are? Absolutely. How do we help them understand so that they can buy into these strategies? Because mm-hmm. I mean, think about it, even as adults, like we, we need to have an understanding of something before we just say, okay, yes, I'm going to do this. And especially with adolescents who are, you know, in, in this period of really trying to establish their own identity and independence and not always Mm -hmm. wanting to be told what to do, that it doesn't work to just say, do this because I said so. I was not the kid that that worked for. I don't know a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of them actually out there. My siblings were more that way, but I'm the youngest and I, I, I didn't work that way. I was like, I need to understand why this rule is sort of, you know, being made. And I have two children and I have a son who's my mini me and I totally know where he's coming from. And so we talk all the time. He has ADHD and dyslexia all the time about why I'm so um, on top of, you know, his sleep, why I'm so, and explain research, explain the brain in a way that he totally gets and and understands because otherwise they're not going to buy into it. We don't have a lot of time, but there are two places I want to make sure we cover. One is I want to stay here a little bit longer, which is I hear a lot of parents come to us after these dynamics are like not where you describe where you're taught you have an open communication with your your son about it and and there's a sort of give and take a lot of parents have been trying to force feed strategies for years they're not working they're frustrated and the kids are tired of hearing you have ADHD mm. and so the kids are really resistant to even when we start teaching the parents to shift the conversation around, you know, to get that buy-in and to raise that awareness and to teach their kids, by this point, the kids have already said, I don't want to hear you anymore. So Mm -hmm. any thoughts there before we go into some strategies? Yeah, I think what I see is a real shift maker in sessions that I have with children, teens, with their parents, is the parents really validating the experience of sort of what that is to really validate. Wow. You know, especially parents who don't have ADHD, you know, to say, you know what, I don't get it because I'm someone who just goes to bed at nine o'clock every night and I can fall asleep. And I'm realizing that's not easy for you, that that's a very different thing. And because what a child hears is, oh, well, because I can go to bed at nine o'clock easily. You should. You should, and you can. And the fact that you're not, that you're now being oppositional. And the whole tone is different when a parent says, I'm going to educate myself on this. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to let you stay up till one in the morning when you're (laughs) post However, it may mean, and I've done this, I had a session with teen and their parent recently where the parent agreed to let the 14-year-old go to bed 45 minutes later because she Mm -hmm. was very much like, no, he needs to get this much sleep, but go to bed 45 minutes later. And the teen felt very respected by that. Right. Went to bed and in fact did go to sleep much quicker where normally he was, it took him forever to go to sleep. So he would end up going to bed in bed earlier, but go to sleep later because he couldn't fall asleep. Exactly. So now going to bed 45 minutes later, he was going to sleep earlier. And now there's this understanding. But I think that's the, uh, that's the mo- most important piece. 
Is parents really understanding like, wow, this is different. And even parents with a, I have ADHD. That doesn't mean that I'm totally going to get all of the nuances of my son's ADHD because he's growing up in 2018. Exactly. A lot more distraction than I did. Right. So I love this because this is such a mirror of what, what we, the work we do. We, call, we talk about it in terms of acknowledgement and validation. And yes. we teach actually a principle called ACE, which is acknowledgement and compassion before you explore your options, right? So meet them where they are. Yes. Acknowledge what their experience is. Yes, it's hard for them. Man, that must be so frustrating before mm. you go to, you should do this. It might be that you explore with them, well, let's talk about how. Right. And what you're talking about is bringing the child into the conversation for that buy-in. So I love that. So before we, I want to take a break and let people know how they can find out more about you. And then I want to come back and just and see if we can hit a few sleep strategies. Because if we leave here without some sleep strategies, people are not going to be happy with us. (laughs) Okay. So our guest is Dr. Roberto Olivardia, and he is in private practice in the Boston area. He's a bit of an anomaly in in this day and age. Um, He does not have a website and he does not do social media. And I have a a mixed regard for him around that. I find it fascinating (laughs) and fabulous. Um, But you can, he's sharing generously his private email, which is roberto underscore olivaria at hms.harvard.edu. Again, he's in practice in the Boston area. He teaches at Harvard um, and he's he's on therapy, not testing. He works with people of all ages. I think you said ages four to 71. Mm-hmm. Right now, those, those are my age span of patients. Right. And so if you are in that area and you have people needing support, therapeutic support in terms of ADHD management and understanding OCD, eating disorders, personality disorders, any of the complex stuff or an uber complex, I encourage you to, to seek out support from Dr. Olivardia, otherwise known as Roberto. <laughs> and thanks for, for sharing that. So sure. So we have a few minutes left. Let's come back and talk about, so yes, it's true. Yes, this is how we're wired. Yes, it's hard to go to sleep, whatever. So what? And, and please tell me you're going to give me more than, than good sleep hygiene. So I think <laughs> the most important thing is there is a lot of effort in kind of creating this sort of environment that makes it easier to fall asleep. But once you kind of have that in place, it just becomes sort of the norm of what you do. So to- so you got to really take aim on it and focus on it. But once you make some success with it, it's a la- can be a lasting success. Is that what I just heard? Absolutely. I have, okay. I have my routine. You know, I sleep in a room that's very dark. I don't have any digital clocks or anything that's going to emit any light um, mm-hmm. because it will just distract me and it'll be like, ooh, look at that light. Um, I have to have the room very cool. Oftentimes, um, people, you want to make the bed as inviting as possible. And so when you're in a cold you know, cool room and you have, I have a very heavy comforter on me, even in the summertime. Now I have AC mm-hmm. in my house, so I just- You can do it. that, yeah. But I have the, the heavy comforter because I need the weight on me to literally just say, okay, this is where you're going. This is where, you know, you're staying. Um, I sometimes will have a very, at a very low volume, an artist like Enya who doesn't have sort of like very uh, um, arousing kind of music, a song on repeat. So it's, it's, it's almost becomes like white noise, you know, after a while. Um, some t- my brother and, and I will I- say that that may work for some people, not for, not everybody can 
Correct. Right. Exactly. And so that's the thing. It's like it's an individualized plan for you. My brother and I shared a room growing up and we used to always have the fan on and the sound of the fan was very, you know, relaxing. Um, but also it's be aware of what you're doing two hours before you go to bed. And that seems like for some people, it can be just what they are doing a half hour before they go to bed. But if you're doing something, be prepared that if let's say you're starting something an hour before going to sleep that you think, okay, I'm going to really get into this. It's going to probably be hard to stop doing this before bed. Maybe that's not the best time to start doing it. Now, having so binge that, watching before bed is a bit of a challenge because you really want that next episode, right? Yes, exactly. Now, having said that, again, this is where the nuances come. I work out, I run, and I'll uh, I work out best in the nighttime. So I'm at the gym at nine or 10 o'clock at night. Wow. And I have an intense workout. I come home, I take a shower. I will sleep better that night than on the nights that I don't work out. So mm -hmm. some people are morning. So now for other people I know, working out at night would totally wake them up. They'd never go back to sleep. Yeah, my husband's so, like that. Yeah, so it's, but for me, it's such a great discharge of just energy that mm -hmm. by the time I, at home and I take a shower and showers are very relaxing for me um, that I'm just, I feel like, ah, you know, it's like it's taken all that sort of hyperactive energy you know, out of me because I'm mm -hmm. sitting down for my work all day. Right. Well, and it's funny because what I was thinking about as you were saying that is that I have this tendency because I'm really hyperactive mm -hmm. and always doing, and I have this tendency to wear myself out. Like I sleep better if I, if I sort of push till I crash. Yes. And I, you know, it's better if I do it roughly the same time and I, and I set an expectation often, like I know what time I have to wake up. So I work backwards and I go, I know I need X amount of sleep. I do best with seven hours of sleep or eight hours or whatever it is. Right. And I just can't get less than six and still function. Then I can do the math. But I, like some people need to wind down and yeah. I actually sort of have to keep going and crash. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is where it's important that there is no one size fits all. And so I always encourage kids or families actually to kind of be your own researcher into your own experience. Try different mm -hmm. things out and see. And and for parents, this is I find this actually very difficult a lot of times, or I I think that parents find this very difficult because it's hard to like if, if when I said to a parent that I work out at 10, I mean, sometimes 11 o'clock at night, I'm at the gym, I go to a 24 hour gym, the kid like this, her, her child like lit up and he said, Oh my gosh, see, I told you. And he had been telling without me knowing that I had worked out, he had been telling his mom because they live right across the street from um, the high school in the town he lives in. And there's a high, a track that's very well lit and everything. And he said, I, if I could just run around that track, like a couple times, I think, it would really help me. And the mom's like, no way. Absolutely <laughs> not. So they, after hearing this, they said, okay, you know what? We'll, we'll try it. Sure enough, he tried it and it helped him tremendously, like going mm -hmm. to bed. So as a parent, you have a child that is out of the box and that's not a bad thing. That's not a defect. So that means your strategies, parenting that child sometimes have to be out of the box as well. Right. And so it's just trying new things. Well, what I love about what you're saying is that you're not saying do this or Correct. try this, right? And so often what parents are calling and saying, give me a strategy for. And it's, if it's not personalized, and that may work in certain things. There's certain areas, certain challenges that people face where give them a strategy and it's, it's fine. Right. But in, in ADD land, that usually doesn't work. 
It's Correct. really got to be personalized to the individual. And I think that's what's so frustrating for parents is that if they can see if what would work for them, but that doesn't necessarily mean it would work for their child. Absolutely. And, and I would say is part of what I see a lot and I could personally relate to is part of an ADHD identity. A lot of people I know with ADHD really pride themselves. And, and I think part of this comes from an experience of feeling sort of unique because you become very aware when you're young that you know, people who don't have ADHD operate in a certain way, whether yeah. you know that name or not. So when, as you get older and you hear someone say, oh, well, do this, this is the way to do it. Mm. And this is the one and only way. I, I would scoff. I still scoff at that. I, I, me I too. I have like a knee-jerk reaction to don't tell me that there's one way to do anything. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where is now if you have a teenager or a child that doesn't have the same emotional regulation skills as we hope that you know most adults do. Now you're fighting about something that isn't even really the main issue. That the main right. issue is that you know you're basically saying I know better than you. And guess what? When it comes to ADHD, sometimes the kids know more. And now they, they doesn't mean they know more about what to do with it all the time, but they know about their experience. Yes. And I, you know, I remember very distinctly in third grade writing a report on Athena, the goddess of wisdom, and I. I had Queen, the song Another One Bites the Dust playing, and I loved that song. And my dad yep. did not have ADHD, who I loved very much. He and I were very, very close. He was like, you can't have music on when you're typing you know, a paper. And I said, all I can tell you is I was staring at a blank page for an hour, and I put on the music, and I can type better. Right. Yeah. Thankfully, he let he was like, well, I'll check you do that. And I'll check in two hours and see or an hour, I think, and see where you're at. And I had it written within the hour. Right. And so he I credit him for that. Yeah. Well, so there's this amazing role of parent empowerment that's about allowing as a parent to empower our kids to understand themselves so that they can begin to figure out what works for them. Correct. And that's what I really hear you saying. And I want to have a whole other conversation with you about that because yes. I think that's such a, such a huge piece. Um, and we are way over time and I'm loving it. So I'm good with it, but we're going to wrap it up. Yes. Um, I want to ask one more question um, about uh, Medicaid, sleep meds and, and melatonin because that comes up all the time. So just yes. real quick thoughts on sure. that. So melatonin uh, tends to be helpful, tends for the majority of people is harmless. Um, of course, always check you know, with your doctor. In terms of stimulants, um, I have patients that take doses of stimulants sometimes two, three hours before they go to bed, and it helps them fall asleep. For other patients, it keeps them awake all night. So just like some of the other strategies we talk about, just try it and see. But I've, I've had to talk to psychiatrists and who don't want to prescribe a dose uh, a couple hours before bedtime. And I, I say, I don't know, I think this will, and then they'll do it. And then the patient sleeps better. At night. Well, I'll, I'll just give you a little Southern remedy because I grew up in Atlanta and I didn't know I had ADD when I was growing up. <laughs> um, but we drank a lot of Coca-Cola. And <laughs> when I was a kid, literally we had a Coca-Cola for bed. Mm-hmm. And my brother, my oldest brother was diagnosed in those days early. And I didn't realize at the time that I was actually using that caffeine to help me That's manage. That's correct. That's yep. I sometimes have a small cup of coffee before going mm -hmm. to bed. Yep. It's not uncommon. 
Yep. All right. This has been amazing. Mm -hmm. um, please, please come back and join me again. Will Absolutely. you do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. This, this is fun. Great. great. So our guest has been Dr. Roberto Olivardia, who is a clinical psychologist in private practice in Boston, a lecturer at Harvard Medical School or the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and really an expert in a lot of realms of complex and uber complex kids in terms of OCD, ADHD, dyslexia, a go-to resource for a lot of us in the field when, when you need somebody who can really talk about some of those specialty areas. So you can find him in Lexington, Mass., Dr. Roberto Olivardia. Thank you again for being here. Thank you for having me. And other resources on Impact ADHD, you can find him there with some articles we've done in the past. And of course, a wealth of, of resources, uh, coaching tips, strategies, coach approach management, a lot of other experts on impactadhd.com. I want to thank you all for, for tuning in, for listening, for the work you're doing in the world, taking care of the kids in your lives and bringing a consciousness to your parenting and making a difference in, in all kinds of ways just by the way you do that. So thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next time and take care, everyone. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.